Hi, I'm Paul Gow. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Tribeca Resources Corporation. Uh, Tribeca is a newly TSXV listed uh, copper explorer with a very strong focus in, in northern Chile, in, in particularly in a place called the coastal ISCG belt. Brilliant. Paul, lovely to meet you. And uh, we've, also, we've also got um, Tom there in the background. Folks, we, we, we'll talk to uh, both of you during the course of this. But let, let, let's start with um, um, an easy bit because you, it's the first time we've, um, well, you're relatively new voice to the, um, to the scene, quite frankly. When, when did you list? Uh, it was late late October and then started trading in early November. Uh, really, properly new, properly new, but you're in the right commodity for us, copper. Um, so, um, Paul, maybe start with you. What, what's your background? Yeah, look, I'm a uh, geologist, Matt. I've, I've um, had a long experience all the way from greenfields, brownfields exploration, all the way through to feasibility studies, uh, etc. I've spent a lot of time with, with large um, mining companies, I guess, companies like MIM, Extrata, Copper, Glencore, etc., um, and, and, and spend a lot of time all, all, all around different parts of the globe. Right. And does, does that give us a sense of, um, you know, the, the type of mining, that, the exploration that you want to do here? Are you thinking like a, a major on this one or, or are you, uh, you know, not quite as ambitious as that? Oh, we're, we're as ambitious as that. Uh, we're, no, we're, we're, I guess from, from our background and, and Tom and I, maybe Tom will tell you a bit more about this uh, later, but from our background, we both bet, met when we were with uh, Extrata Copper. Um, so, so we're certainly looking for those big, big deposits, and and ICG deposits have those uh, those characteristics. You know, there's an Olympic Dam in, in South Australia, which is you know a nine billion ton deposit. Uh, Candelaria, Lundin put out their new mineral reserve and resources last week. One point two billion tons at 0.6 percent um, copper there at Candelaria, which is is in the coastal ICG belt. Then there's a raft of other other big ones around the world. So we we. we we're, we're thinking big. We're not interested in, in the, the tiny little um, tiny little vein deposits, right. et cetera. Well, we better finish off on the, uh, the, the, the team structure. I mean, maybe Tom gives, well, you've got a bit of a clear view background, but give us a sense of the, the team and the other kind of players on the team who are actually doing things, you know, not nameplate exercises, um, who's actually doing what. So, Tom. Yeah, sure. So, Thomas Schmidt, I'm, I'm the president and co-founder of Tribeca Resources. Um, Paul and I founded the company privately a number of years ago. Um, and in terms of the team, we're running, we're running pretty lean and mean here, kind of you know, channeling the spirit of the, the old extrata, um, keeping our overheads down. Um, so the team is, is effectively Paul and I as kind of permanent employees. We've got a, um, an outsourced CFO um, in Vancouver that came with the, with the shell company that we merged with for the uh, reverse takeover that we did for the listing. Um, and then we're really using uh, on the ground a number of different consultants with, uh, you know, who are extremely experienced in, in different areas. We've got some former extrata colleagues helping us out on some of the admin and legal um, and a very experienced geologist leading the effort on the ground there alongside Paul on the, on the current exploration program. Right, okay. And I think we'd better do a bit of terminology here because there's a, there's a big audience here who are very much into uh, copper, they're into the, the battery metals, but there's also a sort of uninitiated audience who perhaps we need to you know, help, help along the way. So let's, let's, let's start with IOCG. What's it mean? What's the significance of it? Yeah, so IOCG, Matt, is the acronym for iron oxide copper gold deposits. And, and and as you can tell by that long name, they're, they're, they're polymetallic essentially, and, and they vary globally. Uh, those deposits in Chile tend to have um, copper, gold, and cobalt is also a big part of them. So they really fit into that battery metal story. Um, you may be familiar with um, Santo Domingo, which, uh, which is uh, up, up further north of us, uh, but they've put out, uh, they're owned by um, Capstone or, or Capstone Copper, I think they're called now. And they've, they've put out their uh, feasibility study an update which actually includes extracting um, cobalt as well. I think they do that via a pirate concentrate and some roasting. So ICG deposits are, are very polymetallic, um, and that's in Chile. You look at the, the big deposits in Australia, for example, and, and Olympic Dam is, is copper, gold, 
uh, uranium. I think they may be, may be amongst the world's biggest gold and biggest uranium resources globally, um, and also silver, and they have rare earths as well in that, which, which I believe goes to their um, tailings at the moment, and they're looking at how to extract that. So th these things are uh, somewhat complex deposits but, um, but and polymetallic, but they potentially fit really nicely in the battery metal story. Yeah, uranium is a byproduct. So I love that, and, and a big, big <laughs> contributor to uranium uh, production globally. Um, that's how big these things are. And, and obviously, you're, you're talking about the Chilean sort of um, that coastal IS, uh, IOCG um, belt there. You've named some pretty um, big so companies with some pretty big deposits. Um, it's a good country for copper. Um, but again, the, the news headlines out of there over the last couple of years in terms of you know, confusion around the, the, um, the change to the constitution, et cetera, and potentially royalty rates, et cetera, and, and, and so on. Why did you select Chile as, as part of the, uh, well, why did you select Chile for a start? Yeah, well, look, um, I, I guess we went into Chile for two reasons, or, well, two primary reasons to, to do with Tom and I. Uh, my experience in the IOCG belts, and there, there are four key terrains globally, and Chile's one of them, so it was an obvious place for us to go. But also, Tom worked there uh, extensively with uh, with Extrata Copper, where he was involved with the uh, Coyoasi, um, uh joint venture and, and Antimina up, up in Peru. So Tom had some incredible um, networks there in, in Chile, and we certainly made, made the most of those when we decided to get into Chile uh, we basically went and, and spoke to all of our networks uh, looked through all, all the public information we could find to, to try and dig up what sort of projects might be around so so that's why we went to Chile for the expertise and the networks. Okay so and it wasn't, wasn't a case of um, this will do this is a case of you're both copper guys you've got the experience in, in, in Chile um, so let's let's talk about this, this sort of thing in terms of the brief as it were or the um, the, the, the remit um, um, when you were searching, what precisely were you looking for? IOCG background, I get it, but what were the other kind of variables that made this the deal for you? Yeah, look, we, we were, it was partly tied into the stage of the market as well. And, and this was probably around 2016, 17. Um, and and the, the market wasn't particularly flash and there wasn't a lot of money around for greenfields exploration. So that we, we essentially wanted to step up that curve a little bit. So we, we were looking for projects that were a little more sort of mid, mid to advanced stage um, exploration. And, and that involved, you know, either some drilling to show that there was a copper system there or, you know, some pretty extensive, extensive old historic Perconero workings, for example, that, that showed you there was a big system there. So, so that's that's what we were looking for was sort of mid mid stage uh, exploration. Right. So, so, in which case, what what, what okay, you know, looking at artisanal works or um, um, you know the, the equivalent in in Chile, that's that is indicative, but it's 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 not completely yeah you know uh, empirical data. So, was there historical data that you inherited when you picked this to, uh, project? Yes, yes, and you've you've really hit the nail on on the head there, Matt. That was a big part of it, and and I guess our philosophy is is to look for opportunities that others have missed, and and a lot of that resides in historic data. So, for example, our La Higuera project had a reasonably extensive geophysical uh, database with induced polarization and ground magnetic data, and we didn't feel it had been properly really appreciated. And, and what we saw in it was, it was quite interesting. There, there was some drilling on the outcrops, but if you follow the geophysical data under the thin gravel cover, just off the side, you could see these systems continued. 
and that's exactly the sort of evidence that that we we are looking for. It's the tip of the iceberg, I guess. Sort of right. Style. Okay. And 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 what does that actually show up then? You know, because obviously you you got these, you got these like huge, like you're calling it a belt, but you've also probably got these sort of very large sort of digital signature, signatures that you're looking for. Um, what again? What, what sort of encouraged you um, here? Yeah, I, I guess what what encouraged us is. Um, you know, in, in, in the past, I guess there's been, and, and in, in Chile, because there is so much outcrop, you know, you, you have the Alps rising there, and, and Chile is renowned for having geologists who are fantastic uh, mapping in the field. Um, but but in, in, in Chile, back in the early 2000s, when the last work was being done on, on the projects uh, we've gotten into, for example, um, I guess geophysics was, was partly discounted or, or wasn't considered with such Nuance, I guess. There's a very ready history in Chile where people go and do induced polarization and magnetic surveying, and they um, they go and drill it, looking for a big porphyry, uh, etc. But to try and pull it apart a little bit more and, and integrate it with the historic data is is really what we were we were trying to do. And and I guess what we're trying to do in in the future is is introduce a few more of those geophysical techniques um, because they haven't been heavily applied in Chile. But, um, for example, I've, I've seen a lot of them in, in Australia in particular, um, a lot of other things like electromagnetic surveying, et cetera, that, that is picking up different types of OCG deposits, but hasn't really been hit hard in Chile. Okay, so um, I guess people are most interested in certainly your last press release, 268 metres at 0.66 copper. That's pretty punchy. And, and, and some gold credits in there as well. Um, that was a pretty punchy uh, start to, to the story. How did you decide where to go targeting and 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 ultimately put the drill bit in? Yeah, well, it it was it was it was it was a really nice story actually. We we dug the old data up and and we sat down and, and had a really good look through the geology and, and we thought we had an idea of of what it was telling us about the trend of this mineralized system because there had been historic uh, intersections over about probably 400 metres, and, and they increased from, from sort of 0.2 to 0.3 up to the, the final drill hole as, as far north as was drilled historically was 285 metres at 0.4% copper, and then it hadn't been followed further north. So we, 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 we think we understood this system, so we said, well, let's go another 100 metres north and, and drill drill along that structure, and that's exactly where we hit those those intersections. So, so it was nice. It was a sort of a bold step out, but... Um, but but we think our model is sort of partly being confirmed now, which is, which is uh, good. Uh, okay. <laughs> I guess you kind of, you, you kind of uh, set a rough and back in the, in the sense that it was extraordinary. It certainly got market's attention. And um, you've got to now repeat this, otherwise they'll be slightly disappointed in you. So in, in terms of trying to maximise your ability to replicate these sorts of, of numbers, have you kind of kind of done a uh, sort of a drill model? Do we, you know where you're going next? Do you know, you know, how deep? Um, where, have you, where, have, where have you got to do the thinking? Yeah, well, I know exactly what, what you're talking about. And, and we're, we're trying to tackle this. We've collected some more uh, geophysical data, um, some, some gravity data, which is very important. You don't see a lot of in Chile, but in Australia it's used pretty widely, and also some more ground magnetic data. Um, so, so, so we're trying to understand this thing. So, so we, we have this trend, but, but as always with, with exploration geology, you, you may have an envelope but it is, is a matter of targeting within that envelope as to where the high-grade zones are. Um, so, so that's what we're trying to get to grips with. We've, we've finished a, um, a nine-hole, pro, or, or we're close to finishing a nine-hole program, and so we've released results from the first three. Um, so so I guess we're, we're waiting on results from the rest of the holes, and we're, we're trying, going to put all that geology together with, with the geophysics and, and really try and get to the nub of, 
of what's controlling in detail this system. And then, you know, th then we'll, we'll plan our next uh, next phase. Right, okay, now obviously explorers do the raise money drill, raise money drill um, program until they, you know, they obviously hopefully are ever increasing um, prices. Um, you, so you raised how much um, when you listed? Tom, Tom, would you like to cover that? Sure, yeah, we, um, we did a slightly untraditional model where we, um, we raised money privately prior to listing. Um, it was part of the deal that we had with the shell company that we would deliver the asset with some cash as well. And um, so we raised um, just over 2 million US uh, privately in, in, um, in February uh, last year. Um, and we did that from, um, from our networks effectively. So 2.6 million Canadian uh, from a group of investors who are mostly kind of in industry professionals. Um, and we've got a cornerstone investor in there for a, a big share of that as well. Um, so, um, so we did that in, in February and then we, and then we listed the company with the cash in there. Um, the shell that we merged with for the reverse takeover, uh, also had some cash in it. Um, so we, we came to market with, with all said and done and with the, um, transaction expenses, uh, having been incurred with about 2.6 million Canadian, uh, in the bank, um, and when we listed. Right. So, and so Tom, I'm sticking with you. So what, what's, well, first of all, have you, have you guys, how much, how much has management got in this? So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess, again, a bit unusually, I think we, um, Paul and I obviously built the business from scratch. We, we self-funded, um, from, from when we first put it together, um, but four or five years ago, um, Paul and I have basically been, you know, not taking any salary and we've, we've put the cash into, we, we acquired four properties. Um, the four properties are adjacent. They make up what is today the La Higuera IOCG project, but that was all funded by Paul and I. Um, and then we, we raised that 2.6 Canadian in, in February, which obviously we got diluted through that process and then through the RTO. So where we are today, management collectively owns 41% of the business. So, you know, I think it's fair to say that, you know, we can put a hand on our heart and say we've got real skin in the game here. Um, I mentioned earlier the, the mean and lean approach um, in terms of salary. We're also trying to keep our overheads low. Um, so Paul and I are taking, you know, I think what we could say is it's conservative below below benchmark salaries as well. Um, we're really trying to make sure that we maximize the amount of money that's going into the ground here because, you know, we think we've got an exciting project and we, we want to understand it better. And we think the way to do that is, you know, keep the overheads low and and, uh, and put money into the ground. Right. OK. And you can you give us an indication of what the share register um, looks like, but there are any sort of names that people would recognize and and... Value. Um, yeah, I mean, potentially, yeah, people in the industry would know would know people. Yeah, I mean, these are not um, necessarily nobos, so we you know we can't sort of go disclosing names. But yeah, certainly, you know, um, you know, former head of investment banking at, at one of the big Canadian banks. Um, we've got a, we've got a Scandinavian cornerstone investor who came in for a big piece, who's who's, who's some you know high net worth based out of Europe, um, and you know a number of other industry professionals with listed Canadian companies uh, and former colleagues. Right. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Um, right, so with with the capital that you got available to you, you've obviously done nine nine holes. Um, was it, is it cheap drilling in, uh, in in Chile? I mean, I don't know how many meters that equates to. Yeah, we, we did. Um, we, we've done uh, between twenty eight to three thousand, twenty eight hundred to three thousand meters of, of drilling. Um, and I, I guess you know when when you put it all together with the geophysics and 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 the, the whole lot, um, you know we've probably spent I guess about a, a million dollars in what we call our phase one work program. But uh, we're, we're averaging direct drilling costs, I guess, of about a hundred between one hundred and thirty and one hundred and fifty meters per meter dollars per meter. Sorry, yep. Yeah, so, so it's it's reasonable. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. That is what it is, I guess. Okay. No, that's that's fine. That sounds yeah. very reasonable. But but I guess it's all. I, I should also note that you know we're certainly helped because we we're using a local drilling contractor based out of La Sedona, which is forty minutes down the road on on a, on a two lane four lane highway, 
Um, so, so it's um, fantastic infrastructure and, and very easily accessible. So, um, so it's not like uh, expensive costs of supporting activity up up in the high Andes, for example. Yeah, no, absolutely. Going local is good. Uh, outsourcing is good. Um, so, and Tom, um, just just back to you um, <clears throat> before before we go there. In terms of obviously you, okay, I, I I think I think Tom, you're in in Europe somewhere, and obviously. Um, uh, uh, Paul, you're you're in you're in Oz. So, with regards to your ability to be on the ground regularly, or your ability to you know have a team on the ground who can manage things for you, how, how does that work at this early stage? Yeah, look, we're, we're we I think we're set up reasonably well. I, I spend probably just under fifty percent of my time in in Chile. Uh, at, at, at the moment, um, particularly given that we're drilling, etc., and, and we have a local um, consultancy group based out of La Serena as well, and um, so that's headed, headed by a, um, an experienced geologist. So he's essentially running the program on the ground for us with, with a couple of his people, uh, another geologist doing the logging and a lot of field uh, assistance, etc. So I think we're reasonably well in, in the field uh, set up, and then of course we have, I, I guess, like like others, we we have our lawyer in uh, in Santiago, and also as as is obligatory in Chile, is to have your land person uh, as well, making sure your tenure is all all protected and up to scratch in in uh, in Santiago, and and they're uh, they're, they're consultants for us. That, that's a that's, <clears throat> that's a really good point. The, the, land, the land people make sure that you're you're paying up in time and you're not going <laughs> to lose anything um uh yeah no and, and so, 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 so that, that whole kind of um it's a big big mining history there and obviously for for copper especially but for a tsxv company kind of coming in and for the foreign direct investment that's still welcome there were no sort of barriers to entry for you um when when you set up when you listed last year were there no not at all i mean there was a bit of investor sort of questioning of of, of obviously the macro sorry the geopolitics in in chile um around the time of the listing um but obviously that's one of the advantages and why we chose the rto option versus an ipo um obviously certainty of execution there had we been trying to do an ipo at that point it might have been difficult to get it away um but um, and obviously i think we took a lot of comfort from the fact that you know others were doing deals, obviously um, in in Chile around the time that you know we were doing our IPO as well, so that gave us a lot of comfort that you know the big guys were were putting money in uh, South South Thirty Two and others, um, you know, and and we saw some 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 smaller investments get announced just after the constitution was voted down, with a Cisco and and Goldfields coming in there for a sort of minority stakes in a couple of projects. Um, so um, you know, talk and talk and Mary Macca both got money there as soon as the um, the constitution was voted down. So you know, I think we, we were able to kind of, you know, <clears throat> assure um, our investors that, you know, yes, you know, there was a lot of negative perception around Chile, but, you know, that the reality on the ground wasn't quite as bad as the headlines seemed to suggest. Um, and at the end of the day, it comes down to um, not only what does Chile look like, but what's the relative risk of Chile versus other places where you might go looking for copper, right? And you can't get around the fact that Chile is the biggest copper producing country. It's, I think it's 27% of copper comes out of Chile. Um, which is, I think, two and a half times more than the second biggest, which is Peru. Um, so it is all about, you know, what's the risk, but also not only in absolute terms, what's the risk relative to the potential reward, right? And we just look at Chile and, you know, the geological endowment that the country has, and then specifically, the you know, the opportunity to bring Paul's uh, global expertise in the IOCGs into what we think is an overlooked belt. And we just think all of that, you put that all together, um, uh, and you know it's 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 a sort of basic risk reward, but we think we think it stacks up pretty favourably. Yeah, no, I, th I think it's a great country um, for, for for copper and and, and for, 
quite frankly, doing business. Santiago is quite European in its outlook. Um, and hopefully with the constitutional component behind us, um, it's a little bit clearer uh, for everyone. Um, just just on terms of what, where, how you move this thing forward, it's, it's super important. Like, okay, spent a million bucks, got just over a million bucks left. You... So have, are all the assays back for them from nine, all nine holes? No, no, we're still still waiting on the assays. Um, I guess what we've had to date has been has been a turnaround from arriving at the lab to final results of thirty five days. I think I think it is. I, I did the stats um, just yesterday. Um, so so we're still we're still waiting on those results to come uh, come out. Uh, quite a few of those, and we'll be releasing them. I guess they'll be our, our news flow over the next. Uh, Month or two, uh, as as they come come through. So uh, you know, a big big part is is putting the the story together with with the assays. And like like every company these days, we've done sort of multi element assays so that we can actually try and use all those all those elements to get a good understanding within the system of, of any vectors to where the higher grade may be, or any understanding of how it all fits together. Because it is it is difficult. Um, you know, we're, we're under between about, I guess, zero to 60 metres of, of gravel cover. So it's not like there's a lot of outcrop we can map. So you really have to suck as much information as you can out of, out of those drill holes. So when we get those assays back, and we're just finishing finishing a lot of the logging now. Um, we, we'll put that story together and then plan the next phase of drilling, which which I'm I'm hoping will, will be sort of um, a, a mixture of of infill and extension uh, drilling on on the current system. Right. Okay. Well, you, you know exactly where I'm going here because you're, you're talking about building the story up and you're building the story up for for the market. You've got to write the headlines, and you obviously internally want to do things the right way geologically. So um, you you think you're going to be able to do the next phase of drilling, phase two? Is it phase two? We're going, we're going with phase yeah, two? Yeah, phase two. Um, uh, with, the ex, with your existing cash uh, available to you, hoping to paint a, a nice picture for uh, investors before raising additional capital, presumably um, when? I, I think um, I think what we'd probably look at doing is, is always maintaining a sensible cash reserve. We don't want to run the cash reserves down. Um, so once we've done the work that Paul was talking about in terms of putting all the historic, all the um, drill results together with the geophysics, and we know what that phase two is going to look like, we'll then make a decision about how we're going to fund that. Um, you know, whether it's from you know a portion of existing cash and, and some new cash. Uh, you know, but that'll depend on on on, how, on what phase two looks like effectively. But you know, we think based on the results today, we're pretty encouraged about what what we're getting. Um, we um, you know we. Um, we hope that um, you know, with with those, we can um, we can put together a you know a nice a nice phase two uh, program there, and um, you know we think we're pretty encouraged, and, and, and I think there's follow up work married uh, merited, sorry, um, so we'll we'll be wanting to move that forward, um, you know, as quickly as possible, especially if the market stays you know or stays strong or gets stronger. Well, well, there's the interesting um, debate, isn't there? Because I think copper copper price has been good, but a big disconnect between equities and copper price. So that, that's been, been a, a tough one to try and work out. Obviously, if you look at the supply demand fundamentals, you know m m most analysts, commentators would argue that it's, it's only it should only be going up with infrastructure and uh, EV thematics building, you know, strongly. Um, so you, I hear what you say, Tom, but um, you would you would expect, you would hope. I know you can't say anything because that you haven't got the full you know the data back from the from the nine drill holes but you would hope to kind of what do a step up i'm i'm i'm, I'm kind of interested in ambition and scale you said at the beginning we're ambitious we're thinking big because that's where we come from that's our heritage um you would expect 
like three a three thousand meter trail program for phase one is great, but next phase you would what what would you want to be able to do? Um, yeah, I guess I guess there's a bit of background before immediately answering that question. Matt is uh, is the current program so so there was about three hundred meters of strike length. We stepped another hundred. That's four hundred, and then then we've gone about another another four or five hundred meters north of that with a couple of extra holes. Um, so so what what that that basically makes a 900 meter strike length and and we'll see what they come back with um so, so that's basically sort of the reach that the next phase of drilling will be looking to to um to in, infill along that 900 meters of strike length um and and how that is going to happen will obviously depend on on particularly what comes back from the holes for, for further north uh, where the drilling is a little bit more more sparse but um i, I guess we'd potentially be looking at at a somewhat similar um Somewhat similar, um, I guess, magnitude of of, of drilling drilling program um, coming up. So, so you know, if I could step in there, I mean, in terms of the ambition, what what we're really trying to do here is is supply the next sort of generation of deposits for the producers, right? So, what we've seen really going back to two thousand and twelve is the the copper producers, the majors, and down through the mid caps, doing very little in terms of growth. So. The, the sort of classic growth levers are you can go out and explore and you could find something, right? You could build something that you might already have in your portfolio, or you can go out and acquire something through M&A. And because of shareholder pressure, really going back to 2012, where they've been banging the table about operating efficiencies and, and, and you know, maximizing cash flows and, and shareholder returns, the, the producers haven't really had the, the ability to go out and, and grow their businesses. And, and we think that at some point, those same shareholders are going to turn around and they're going to say, well, show us your growth pipeline. And a lot of these guys, you know, don't have a lot of internal growth options available to them. And, and so they're going to be needing to go out into the market or they're going to have to rapidly ramp up their exploration activities. But, you know, going out and pegging ground, especially in a place like Chile, is incredibly difficult. And we could talk about that, you know, separately or perhaps another time. But, you know, the, the way the system is set up there, it's, it's really difficult to do. So we've gone out looking for, de for deposits. And, and, and Paul mentioned the initial exercise we did where we mapped out the belt. Like our criteria was... We want to get into something that's that's pre-resource, but it has to be something that we can move up to, you know, a maiden inferred resources or possibly up as far as a PEA. And we think that's where our skill set is best suited. But it has to be something that's going to ultimately meet the criteria of at least, you know, the mid tiers. So, you know, the, the, the Lundines, the Capstones and the Hub Bays of the world. Um, but, you know, if, and if we get lucky, we'll get something that the majors will be interested in. Um, but that's really um, that's really the ambition here. And that's ultimately the, the sort of. I guess role we're trying to fulfill here is is you know and we've been doing this for a number of years as we've talked about um but you know that's always been the um you know the ambition in terms of delivering into their okay but then that, that clarifies it because i think it's important important for people to understand what they're getting into you know what they're investing into um so i i appreciate your point on ambition can mean different things um but you're you're not here telling you say oh we will take this thing through to production you, you know who you are yeah and i think that speaks a lot to as well to sort of paul's background as well he's, i mean he's got a very varied background but you know one of the things that paul did and he's too humble to to bring that up himself so i will but i mean he just he was he led a team that discovered an iocg deposit in the carajas in brazil called pedro branca which was sold into an australian junior and that's actually how paul and i first met when I was kind of running copper M&A in Latin America with Extrata, I went across to Brazil and helped Paul divest um, the, the, the deposit he discovered because it was too small for Extrata. And we sold it to an Aussie junior who ultimately took money from, you know, BlackRock and some private equity funds out of London and then sold it to Oz Minerals. And it was a bit of a success story. And it's now been put into production. So Paul effectively discovered that deposit. And so to some extent, we're trying to replicate that. 
that type of um, that that type of outcome is what we're trying to do here. So um, okay, well, guys, it's been um, really sort of, um, fascinating, sort of um, hearing how you've set this up and what you set out um, to do. So there's a few things that we should probably be looking out for um, this year. I mean, Tom, it might be worth you kind of just summarising, if you don't mind, um, what those items are, and you know how we should be valuing you going forward. Uh, sure, absolutely. Um, in terms of what to look out for, we've obviously announced drill results from um, from the first three holes of our current nine hole campaign. So that's just winding up, as Paul mentioned, and um, so there'll be assays coming out for the from the remaining six holes. Um, Paul talked about what what we're then going to do in terms of putting that information together um, to, with the geophysics as well. Um, so there'll be, you know, uh, later this year in the coming months, a, um, a phase two program. Once we've put that together, we'll announce that to the market. Um, prior to that, you know, we, we might put out some geophysics as well uh, alongside or in between, um, you know, the remaining drill results. So it's really around, you know understanding what have we got here um, and how do we move the project forward so they'll you know there'll be a, a phase two and I think you know that'll be quite telling in terms of what we think as a team we've got here in terms of what that phase two program then ends up uh, ends up looking like.